You're listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Fellowship Baptist Church is located in Clark Lake, Michigan. Today we're very excited to have a special guest speaker with us. Now let's prepare our hearts as our special guest brings forth God's truth from His Word today. Mark chapter 8, we're going to be in verses 1, uh, let's see here, um, through verse 9. The Bible says, In those days... The multitude being very great and having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples unto him and saith unto them, I have, what's that word? Compassion. I have compassion. I have compassion on the multitude because they have now been with me three days and have nothing to eat. So once again, Jesus says, uh, out, he's preaching and teaching as he has done so many times before. He is with a, a group of people. Uh, it says here there's about 4,000 of them. They've been with him now for three days in the wilderness. All right? Uh, verse 3 And if I send them away fasting, they haven't had anything to eat for three days. And if I send them away fasting to their own houses, they will faint by the way, for diverse of them came from afar. So they have a long ways back to go. They haven't had anything to eat in three days. I, honestly, I don't remember the last time I've gone three days without anything to eat, but I bet you I would be exhausted as well. And he's like, I don't want to send them back. They're just going to pass out. I don't even think they're going to make it home if we don't give them anything to eat. Verse 4, And his disciples answered him, From whence can a man satisfy these men with bread here in the wilderness? So they're saying, Lord, how could anybody give these men bread, let alone, despite the fact, we're in the wilderness? Like, there's just not... Uh, Panera bread on the corner in the wilderness. Okay, there's nowhere to get bread. We got nothing. I, I don't know what you want us to do. And the disciples answered him, From whence can a man satisfy these men with bread, specifically here in the wilderness? And he asked them, How many loaves have ye? And they said, Seven. Verse 6, And he uh, commanded the people to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves, and he gave thanks, and break, and gave to his disciples, and set before them. And they did set them before the people. And they had a few small fishes, and he blessed and commanded to set them also before them. So, he, they did, uh, so they did eat them and were filled. And they took up of the broken meat that was left seven baskets. And when they had eaten, there was about 4,000, and he sent them away. So here in this message, we're going to be talking once again about the compassion of Jesus. Have you ever had, uh, do you ever remember when, um, per perhaps when you were young and uh, uh, maybe a teenager and you had a dream of something you wanted to be, something you really wish you were? And, uh, you know, uh, I remember back in the, the, there was a time when being an astronaut was, a big deal you know we were going to the moon and at that time lots of kids dreamed of being an astronaut or being a scientist and contributing to something like that um, you know and then uh, obviously in this day and age lots of young people dream of being actors and singers and that's what's lifted up and and now in our culture believe it or not some people even have dreams of being cooks <laughs> right because of like the all the cooking shows that are on and like cooking's really fashionable now to be a cook but um, I remember uh, when I was growing up I wanted to be a singer as many other young people did and I'd sit in my room and I'd practice my guitar and and I would sing all hymns of course um, and I would be singing and and practice but that's what I would dream of right I, I was thinking about 
the, what it would be like to be famous and to have lots of money and for everybody to know who you are. And, uh, you know, those are the things I would think about as a teenager, right? Just immature, stupid teenager that I was. And uh, you know what the problem with all that and what all of those dreams were about? It was all about bringing glory to myself. Really, that, you know, actually it was the prayer pastor just preached. Or the prayer pastor just prayed. Is, uh, you know, help us to get not so self-focused. Always focus on ourselves. Always thinking about ourselves. And, um, you know, I know we all had dreams when we were growing up, perhaps when we were young. And, uh, however, when we come to know Jesus Christ as our own personal Savior, hopefully our dreams have shifted, right? So our dreams before are go from being all about us and about me, about my, about, about all being self-consumed. And once you accept Jesus Christ as your own personal Savior, hopefully your, dream, your dreams, they've shifted to a Christ-like mindset, to a Christ-like attitude, from things that glorify ourselves, and it shifts to things that glorify God, right? I don't want to bring pleasure to myself. I want to bring pleasure to God. I don't want to bring glory to myself. I want to bring glory to God, from, from serving ourselves to serving those around us, okay? So hopefully, when you know Jesus Christ, our, our priorities, all that stuff has shifted. Do you, let me ask you this. Do you want God to use your life in amazing and great ways. I, I, would, I would hope, if you're a Christian, that's all of our desires. God, use me. Use me somehow, Christ, in, in my, where I'm at, in my home, in my family, in my workplace, uh, in my um, culture, in my neighborhood, wherever I'm at. Lord, I want you to use me. And I think that's something we all long for. There's a, there's a preacher that I really enjoy listening to. I just uh, love the way he expounds uh, the Word of God. And and he was sharing a testimony about his dad, and, and this guy is, is a, a fairly well-known preacher, and he preaches to thousands of people every year, and, um, but his dad um, was a, just a loser, and uh, he was a drunk. He left home when, when he was just uh, seven years old, and he never even saw his dad again until he was in his late 30s, early 40s, that his dad tried to come back and... <clears throat> You know, he was just talking about how sad of life his dad has. Just a drunk his whole life. Just, just a loser. Job to job. You know, like just left his family because he just couldn't deal with it. And, and uh, you know, uh, he was just talking about the gravity of life. And how sad would that be, right? You come to the end of your life and, and that's what it was. That's sad. And we don't want that. We want God to use us. We want God to be able to, you know, we don't want to get to the end of our life and for people to just say, wow, he had a sad life. She just had a sad life. You know, we don't, we don't want that. We want God to use us. So God can do, you know, God can do so much more through you. He can do so much more through me than we can do through ourselves. Amen? He can do so much more through us than we can do through ourselves. So how do we get our lives into a position to allow God to use us in that way? How do we get our lives in a place where God can effectively use us to do great things. Um, so let's go ahead and look here. We're going to see some principles from this passage. Uh, we're going to um, 
unpack a little bit that we did before, then move on to the new material. So here in this passage, this is what we see. Here we have Jesus once again demonstrating his power of who he is. Once again, another miracle. Once again, another testimony of who Jesus Christ is. He's also using this as an opportunity to teach his disciples. As, as you know, and as you read through the scriptures, especially the uh, gospels, Jesus is always utilizing opportunities to teach his disciples. All right? And of course, we always need to be doing that too. Whenever we have people around us, we should always have a discipleship mentality, okay? That's you're, you're living life with the people around you, and when situations come up, use those as opportunities to teach, all right? There was lots of uh, things that happened last week on the guy's camping trip that, that were great opportunities to just teach, even though they don't realize you're discipling them, this is what just happened right here in the situation. This would be a good way to respond back. Does, you, does that make sense? Using those as opportunities to mentor and teach those around you. So we always should be using, utilizing these. But in this passage specifically, um, he, Jesus was teaching his disciples to have compassions for others no matter who they were. Now this is the feeding of the 4,000, not the feeding of the 5,000, okay? A lot of times people get confused and they get those mixed up, but this is the feeding of the 4,000, not the 5,000, okay? So some of the differences, the feeding of the 5,000 was mostly Jews. This was mostly Gentiles. That's very significant, specifically in this day and age, all right? Um, if the feeding of the 5,000 was 5,000 men plus women and children, so possibly 15 to 20,000 people. This was 4,000 people in total. The other one had five loaves, two fish. This one had seven loaves and a few fish. Uh, the other one was one day. This was three days. The other one was north of Galilee. This one was in the south of Galilee. And so those are just some of the differences between the two stories. So not the same one. But here's the significance of the Gentile audience is that the Jewish people had great prejudice against the Gentile people. We talked about this uh, last time, but they just had a prejudice in their hearts and, and in their culture against people that were Gentiles. However, Jesus didn't just come to save the Jews. He came to save all men. All right. So he was trying to teach his disciples. It's not just about the Jewish people. You got to get out of your comfort zone, get out of your own cultural boxes that you've set up. And we have to learn how to have compassion for everyone because soon the disciples were going to be responsible for spreading the gospel all over the world. So Jesus was trying to teach them these things. Jesus was about to leave the mission of Christianity and pass it on to these men. All right, so, so here in these first three verses, we see some principles. I'm going very quickly because we already talked about this. This is just review. But in verse one, we see that the people are starving for truth, okay? People are starving for truth. They had been in the wilderness with Jesus for three days going without food, all right? The reason they were in the wilderness for three days is because they were so desperate to hear the truth that they're willing to go without food just to hear what Jesus was having to say. They were willing to go without eating just to hear truth. And aren't we right now in this day and age in a culture that just is starving for truth? And everybody thinks they have the truth. And no, this is the truth. No, this is the truth. But, but people want to know the truth. Everybody. I was just listening to, you know, some political banter back and forth. And, and it's funny because, you know, you got the Republicans and they're saying this is the truth. And the Democrats and they're saying, no, this is the truth. And they're literally the exact opposite things that they're saying. It's like, oh, poor people are so confused. The people are just like, we just want to know the truth. And, and, and we have the truth. Amen. We have the truth. We have the gospel. We have the Bible. We have the scriptures. This is our sole authority in faith and practice. 
we have the truth. So people are desperate for truth. They're starving for truth. In verse 2, we see that Jesus had compassion on the people, and he was trying to teach that to his disciples, and we also need to have compassion. We need to have that compassion that Jesus had. We're going to be talking about how we can do that, all right? So in verse 3, we see um, um, uh, what is involved with having compassion. That's what we're going, to, we're going to unpack a little bit tonight. What does it mean to have compassion? What does it mean and what does it look like for you and I to have compassion? Are you a compassionate person? I think some people are like, I definitely know I'm not compassionate. Uh, but, but, you know, some people might say I am compassionate. But what does it mean for you to have compassion? I want you to think about it tonight. Am I a person that has compassion, specifically the compassion of Jesus? All right. So, so some of the things we talked about last time is, number one, compassion involves actively looking for needs around you. All right. Compassion involves actively looking for needs of those around you. Jesus was always looking for the needs of those around him. He wasn't so self-focused, constantly absorbed with his own needs. He was always looking for the needs of those around him, right? Just like the woman at the well. Jesus was hungry. He was exhausted. He'd been working all day. They'd been traveling, but yet he was actively looking. And and when that woman came, he saw and observed her needs. Here, he's looking and observing the needs of the the 4,000 people around him. He's like, these people are hungry. If I send them away, they're going to be... They're going to faint by the way. Jesus had put a lot of thought into this. So Jesus was actively looking for needs. Are you actively looking for needs of those around you? Do you even notice the need? Everybody has needs. Do you observe and do you notice those needs? Number two, we saw that compassion involves the use of resources. Compassion involves the use of resources. If you're going to have compassion, it's going to take something. You can't just say, I have compassion on everybody. That's not real compassion. That's a little emotion that you get, but that's not true compassion. True compassion will, will get you to give something, to do something, to go somewhere. That's true compassion, all right? So compassion involves the use of resources. All right, Whew. got through all that. Now we can get into what we have here tonight. So now let's look at four more ways that Jesus demonstrates compassion in this passage in four ways that, that we can show compassion where we are at. So let's start in verse Six And he commanded the people to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves and gave thanks and break, and gave to his disciples to set before them, and they did set them before the people. So here's another thing to notice with compassion. If we're going to have true compassion and be effective, really, we want to be the most effective we can be in our lives. How, you know, we don't want to be ineffective, we want to be effective. Can two people be doing the same thing and one person be effective and one person be ineffective? Yeah, because they're doing it wrong, right? So we want to do it, we want to have compassion, we want to do it the right way. So here we see right here that compassion involves organization. Compassion involves organization. Meeting people's needs here was not done in a half-hearted way. It wasn't just thrown out there. There was a lot of thought put into it. You know, Jesus demonstrated this. It doesn't talk about it fully here, but it it gives some of the illustrations in the feeding of the 5,000. And it says uh, in Mark chapter 6, verse 39, it says, And he commanded them to sit down by companies upon the grass. And they sat down in ranks by hundreds and by fifties. So here we see Jesus strategically organizing everybody, making sure that things were done orderly and they were done appropriately so that this miracle could continue and 
could go forward, all right? So Jesus organizes the people. He organizes the disciples to serve. I mean, imagine this. Imagine if I came up to any one of you and said, hey, do you mind? We got 4,000 people coming, like, in the next 10 minutes. Do you mind organizing this and getting all these people fed? Listen, Mr. Westheimer's good, all right? He, he can feed a group of hungry guys. Four, I mean, guys, 4,000 people, that's a lot of people. I can't even imagine how complicated that would be, getting all these people organized. But, but Jesus was able to do it. With organization, he was able to do this. Um, Jesus was well organized and prepared to minister to the people that were there to hear them. Here's, here, here's the application for this. It takes organization, thought, and wisdom to accomplish great things. It really does. It takes organization, thought, and wisdom to accomplish big things, to accomplish things on a bigger scale, all right? Things need to be thought out and structured. God is not the author of confusion. How many of you have ever done something, whether it's at work or, or a volunteer somewhere, and it was just chaos? <laughs> I've been there, right? It's like nobody knows what's happening. I don't know who's in charge. Things are, I don't know where things are being put or any of that, right? We've all done that. God is not the author of confusion. We can be so much more effective in the work uh, that God has when things are organized. You know, that's why we try to organize things here at church. Things have to be organized, all right, here at the church. And that's why we have ministry leaders, and the ministry leaders are over different departments, right? Um, that's why we should take our, our ministry seriously. You know, as ministry leaders, we should take seriously the ministries that we've been given. To be a good steward of the ministry, to have that thing organized, that people know what's happening, that we can care for the people underneath us. All of us have worked underneath someone that was very disorganized, and, and it causes frustration, it causes irritation, it can cause conflict with relationships, all from just not being properly organized. And, and, and for those that are here that are ministry leaders, that's why we, have, we need to take that seriously. The more ministries are organized, the more that ministry can do. The more, um, uh, the more, organize, the more organized we are, the more people we can reach for the gospel. It's just the way it is. The more we work together as the body of Christ, the organization of it, the more people can be reached with the gospel. The more organized we are, the more unity there is among people. All right? I love working for places, in places that are organized because people know what they're doing. It's just there's a flow to it, right? Things are just getting done, and, and there's not a question. It's, just, it's wonderful to work places that are organized. The more organized we are, the more help we get, right? Because people like working with places that are organized. You know, Jesus gave this principle uh, in a parable uh, in Luke chapter 14, verse 28. For, for which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it? So how many of you would go, get ready, you're going to build your house, and you don't even sit down to see if you have the money? You don't even sit down to see if you have the building materials? Obviously, as I was reading through this, I was thinking about Isaac because... He does this every single day. He counts the cost. The people come to him. I need a quote. Counts the cost. This is how much it's going to be to build this addition, to build this house. You know, this is what it's going to be. Uh, verse 29, Lest happily after he hath laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that behold it began to mock him. You know, so you, this person, he went to do it. He didn't have the money to finish it. 
and now he's a scorn, he's a mock to all the people that see it. All right? We don't want to be that to the cause of Christ. We don't want people to look at our families, to look at our church, and to be a scorn to Jesus Christ. We want people to look at it as an example. All right? The passage goes on, gives more um, illustrations, but this passage isn't specifically talking about organization. It's about talking about counting the cost of discipleship, but I believe the application can be made for organization. That's why we need to be organized as, as, you know, that's why we should be organized as individuals and families. All right? That's why we need to be organized financially. Right? The more organized you, you need to know what's coming in. You need to know what's going out. The more organized you are, the more money you have available to you. The more organized you are, the more time you have that's available to you. The more organized you are as an individual and as a family, the more resources you have to work with. All right? You know, so what do you do if you don't have the gift of organization? All right? That's me. Okay? I am horribly disorganized. It's something I've been aggressively working on in my life uh, because I understand the need, but I, I am. I'm just a disorganized person. It's a lot of work. Some people aren't. Some people are just gifted at organization. I'm here to tell you, if you have the gift of organization, you are absolutely essential to the body of Christ, okay? You are, you are because I don't have that gift, so I understand how needful it is, you are so essential to the working of the church. You're so essential to how the church works together. And if you don't have the gift of organization, get people around you that do have that gift, okay? That doesn't mean you you need to work on it yourself, but surround yourself with people that are organized. Now, now listen, I'm not saying that, you know, because pastor said it many times, you don't want to get so organized, you organize the Holy Spirit right out of it, okay? I'm not saying that in any way, shape, or form. Um, but I do believe that the more organized you are, the more freedom the Holy Spirit has to work. Um, have, any, you know, have you ever heard the saying, you have to know what the rule is before you break it? Uh, the first time I heard that term is when I was in photography, and I was learning all of it, and they were talking about doing some different techniques, and they were like, this is breaking the rules, but you need to understand what the rule is so that when you do break it, it's for a very specific purpose. Now, that could apply to anything. I mean, in construction, I bet there's times where they break the rules, but it's for a very specific purpose why they're breaking the rules and they know why they're breaking it, right? So I believe that's kind of the way it is with organiza- or organization is that you have to know, like, if the Holy Spirit's leading and you're like, okay, we're, we're breaking off, guys. We're going off course on this because I truly feel the Spirit moving. You know for a fact it is because the Holy Spirit is moving. Does that make sense? And it's not just because things are going off the rail because you have no idea what's going on, okay? So not to get them mixed up. So I believe the more organized and the more things are put together, if things have to go off script and if things have to go off schedule, we know this is the Holy Spirit's moving in this department, all right? So we see here that Jesus was organized in in, in compassion and having the most effective compassion happens when you are organized and how Jesus organized his disciples. And I'm sure he organized some of the other people that were there to help distribute the food, right? I mean, that's going to take a long time for 12 people to distribute food to 4,000 people. So I bet he, he gathered more people and had them help with the distribution. All right, verse 6. And he commanded the people to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves and gave thanks, and break and gave to his disciples to set before them. And they did set them 
before the people. So we see that to be an effective and to be the most effective at compassion, we need to be organized, but also we see here compassion involves giving all and using all that has been given to meet the need. I want you to think about this in your own personal life. Notice that it's all seven loaves were given to Jesus. That's what they had, and they gave them all seven loaves. Then Jesus took all seven of the loaves and used all seven to meet the need. He didn't hold any of it back. Uh, he, didn't, he didn't reserve any. All the resources available were used to meet the need. All right? Let me ask you this. Could Jesus have fed the 4,000 with six loaves of bread instead of seven? Could he have fed the 5,000 with four loaves of bread? Could he have fed the 5,000 with one slice of bread? Absolutely, right? It was Jesus. He could have done all of those things, but he didn't, all right? Why did Jesus ask for all that they had? All right? It wasn't because he needed their stuff. It wasn't because he needs money. It's Jesus asks for our all, not because he needs our resources, but because he wants our hearts. All right? That's why Jesus asks for our all. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Let me ask you this. How often do we actually give our all? How often do we give our all? You know, how often do we hold back from God? You know, we store up. You know, we might even, I, I don't want to say deceive, but kind of, you know, we really don't want people to know how much we have or, or you know, we just kind of keep it down just because we don't want to give, right? We just, we just don't want to, to be, like, to give. And so we're just kind of like, oh, yeah, boy. Hard to pay the bills. You know, this need's coming up over here. You know, Christ teaches that we are to give all our resources in order to meet the needs of a desperate world. Then we're to make sure that those resources are used for that purpose. This is true compassion. Matthew chapter 6, verse 20 says, But lay up, but, excuse me, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through and steal. Luke chapter 14, verse 33. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be called my disciple. Acts chapter 11, verse 29. Then the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea. I'm going to be honest with you. When I was um, working through this passage today and, and as I was studying this, the Lord showed me an area in my life that I had been holding back. And I had been making lots of excuses for it. And I knew God was asking me to do this. It's actually been a couple months. And um, he's been asking me to give over a certain thing that I have been just withholding back and making... You know what I'm saying, making excuses. And they were legitimate excuses that I was making to God. And, and through studying this, it was like so clear that God was saying to me, honestly, it, I came through this and I'm like, honestly, if I hold back this thing, I can't even preach this message in good, with a good conscience. I'd be such a poser. 
even trying to communicate what I need to communicate here. And the Lord prompted me, and I got on my phone, and I flipped over what I needed to, to I sent something that I needed to send, and he was, the Lord was just convicting me. So I, this is a struggle for me, guys, okay? This is my struggle, okay? I want my own stuff. I want, I have my own budget and all that stuff. This is a struggle for me. And, and listen, I'm not talking about giving everything that you have to the church. That's not what I'm talking about at all, okay? That's not what I'm trying to communicate. I'm talking about giving everything you have to God. I'm talking about giving everything you own and possess, money, house, family, children, resources, time, and giving it to God. That's what I'm talking about, okay? Compassion involves giving all, taking all, and using all that has been given to meet the need. Obviously, you have to provide for your family, all right? He that provideth not for his own house is worse than an infidel, okay? So I'm not talking about giving and your family going without. That's not what I'm talking about. Take care of things at home. But, like I said about organization, the reason we're, we're organized, we're able to do all that, is to give us the ability to give to others out of our abundance, okay? So compassion uh, involves giving all, taking all, and using all that has been given to meet the need. Verse 6, and he commanded the people to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves and gave thanks and break, and he gave to his disciples, and they set before them, and they did set them before the people. Here's the third thing, all right? We only have four, so we're almost done. The third thing, here it says, it, it, we, we see the application that compassion involves thankfulness to God. And he commanded the people to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves, everything that was given to him, he took them, and he gave thanks. He took what he had, and he gave thanks, and he blessed it. He blessed the resources. He blessed the resources that were brought to him. There's, there's a powerful truth here that I think we need to grasp. Now, the disciples, they didn't give a lot to Jesus. It was all they had. It was all they could find. They didn't give a lot to Jesus. He, you know, for us, even now today, it seems insignificant. And, and it was nothing to meet the need that was before them. They needed to feed the 4,000 people. This, this, these small little loaves of bread weren't even going to come close. Actually, humanly speaking, what Jesus held in his hands was impossible to meet the need. All right? It would have met the need for literally one of the teen guys on the camping trip, and that's even questionable whether it would have met his need or not. Uh, but it was not big enough to meet the need, yet Jesus gave thanks to God for the little that had been brought to him. Are you thankful for what God has given you? The resources we have have been given to us to use, all right? The resources we have have been given to us to use. That's why Jesus was able to use it in spite of its smallness, okay? It was so small, so insignificant, but yet Jesus was able to use us. Fact, true fact, if the resources had not been given, they would not have been used, right? If the resources, if those small loaves would not have been given, they would not have been used. All right? Simple fact. And um, Jesus Christ is forever thankful for the resources you give him. It might seem small. It might seem insignificant. Listen, 
it might, it might seem insignificant to other people, but it's significant to us. You know what I'm saying? Like when you're struggling financially, $100, there's sometimes, I've been in my life, $100 might as well be $10,000 because I just, it's a lot of money to me. Like I don't got a lot. Jesus is grateful no matter how small the gift is. Jesus Christ is forever thankful for the resources we give him. And he's able to use those resources to meet the needs in ways that we could have never imagined. Compassion involves thankfulness. Lastly, very quickly, verse 8. So they did eat and were filled, and they took up of the broken meat that was left seven baskets. All right? So here's the last principle about compassion. Compassion involves wise stewardship of leftover resources. Compassion involves wise stewardship of resources and leftover resources. All right? Resources, our resources that we have been given by God are meant to be handled wisely. Amen? They're meant to be handled wisely. We are to be wise with the resources God has given us. Nothing is to be wasted. Uh, Whatever is not, here we see that whatever was not used to meet the need was used to meet another need. All right, so, so we have a little bit left over here. Now we're going to reallocate that, these resources for another need that we're going to see later on. So they did eat and were filled, and they took up of the broken meat. They didn't just throw it away. They didn't just get rid of it. They took up of the broken meat that was left, seven baskets. So they, they purposefully, consciously went around and made sure to gather up all the leftover food. All right, so here we see that... that, that Compassion involves the wise use of resources and leftover resources. Listen, we need to be wise stewards with the resources God has given us. As a church, as individuals, and as families. Amen? Be a wise steward of the resources God has given you. And listen, we need to be outrageously generous. I am a a firm believer in being absolutely outrageously generous okay second corinthians chapter uh, 9 verse 6 says but this uh but this i say he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully right be be outrageously generous with what you have every manning according as he has purposed this in his heart so let him give not grudgingly or of necessity for god loveth the cheerful giver be outrageously generous. I am a number one advocate of that. But we also need to be wise stewards. Amen? We need to be wise stewards. Don't be foolish. There's a, a Bible college that I know of, and, and they, um, they uh, it was a good Bible college, and they were doing so much for the Lord, and unfortunately, they made some really unwise financial decisions. And um, they just started borrowing money, and they were, they were uh, buying up more property, and they just kept borrowing money, money, money. And they were making foolish financial decisions. And then ultimately, you know what happens when you keep borrowing money and you're not paying back? Banker comes knocking on the door, right? There's a time where you just, payment is due, and it is overdue, and uh, this is the cutoff time. And, you know, that... that Bible College ended up having to sell all of the, um, the, the things that they had, all the land, and, and then that Bible College just continued to dwindle down, 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 down. 
And, and, you know, what an embarrassing testimony to have for a church, man, as a ministry, to, to, to be known as a person that didn't have, wasn't a wise steward. That would be an embarrassing, you know, there are churches, there are churches that are ghost towns because of wise, unwise choices that they made financially as churches. Um, there's lots of ministries that, you know, Northland, Right? That whole place had to shut down because of unwise financial decisions that they made. Um, I think God might have had something to do with it, but still, they made unwise financial decisions. And you might say, what if I'm not good with resources? Are there people that just aren't good with resources? Yeah, there are. If you're not good with resources, then learn how to be good with resources. Okay? Listen, there is so many things that you can get online, books, podcasts, YouTube videos that can teach you how to be wise with your resources, okay? You literally have no excuse not to be wise as far as an education standpoint. It's just, it's free, it's out there. I mean, turn the radio on and listen to Dave Ramsey, right? That's as free as you get, okay? We really have no excuse for not doing it, all right? So, but, but also get people, or get around people that are good with resources. You know, ask them for help. Ask them, anybody that is good with resources, a lot of times have done all, they, they've gotten there for a reason, okay? And they are more than happy to help other people get there as well. People that are wise with resources love helping other people become wise with resources, okay? So get around people that know what they're doing. Ask them for help. Ask them, listen to their counsel. Here's two major pitfalls I see that we can fall into when it comes to resources. And number one, we can do this. You can do this as a church or as an individual. Number one is being too stingy with the resources God has given you. All right? It's crazy. Some of the times I'll hear a, a church, you know, and like they have $2.5 million in the bank and they're like not doing anything with it. It's like, what? Are you kidding me? They're like, no, we're going to have it for an emergency. And we can do that as individuals, right? Be so stingy with the resources God has given us. Like, you know, what if this, what if that happens? Like, listen, we have to be wise, but we can be too stingy with the resources God has given us. But on the flip side, I think we can also be unwise with the resources God has given us. And I believe both are a shame to God. God doesn't want us to be too stingy, and he doesn't want us to be unwise with the resources he has given us. So, um, uh, listen to this. This is a pro tip. If you need help figuring out a wise investment for your resources, I'm here to tell you, invest in people, okay? If you need to figure out a wise investment for your resources, invest in people. I heard a guy say this last year, and I'm telling you, it's become a theme of my life. Actually, it transformed Rachel and I, and we do so many things differently um, today because just this one thing, it's funny how somebody says one thing and it just changes your life. But I was at a leading in the gospel conference last year, and one of the things he said is, it is always worth it to invest in people. And he was talking as a church mindset, invest in the people that come in. But that's just become the theme of Rachel and I and of our life. We always want to be investing in people. If you invest in people, I'm here to tell you, that is a, that is a sure bet. That is, that's a safe investment right there. Amen? Invest in those around you. Invest your money, invest your time, invest spiritually. Listen, you might not get financial return and you might not 
even get emotional returns sometimes. You know, they just might take advantage or whatever, but I'm here to tell you, it is always worth it, if just for your own soul, to invest in people. That is a sure bet. Always invest in people. There's a lot of things we invest here at the church, right? We invest in carpet. We invest in lights. We invest in the media room so that we can spread the gospel uh, all over the world. There's a lot of things we invest in. The number one thing, the most important thing I think we invest in as a church is investing in people. Invest in people. It is the best investment that you can ever make. Compassion involves wise stewardship of resources. So here it is. After all of this, what is the result of Christ-like compassion? Verse 9. And they that had eaten were about 4,000, and he sent them away. This is what, this is what happens. I know, I know you got to see it, but this is what happens. Jesus had come. He had fed them spiritually. He had fed them physically. And when he sent them away, what do you think happened? They went and told everybody about what Jesus had done. The gospel who Jesus is, what Jesus can do, was spread like wildfire all over. Every person was like, I had an experience with what Jesus is, who he is, his truth, and what he has done. The gospel went forth. The result was evangelism. The gospel going out. The ultimate goal of compassion is that the gospel goes out. That's the ultimate goal. It's not just to make us feel good. It's not just to help other people, right? There's, there's social places. The, 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 the undergirding truth of all compassion that we do is that the gospel will be communicated, that the gospel will be preached. It's all about the gospel. Listen, aren't you glad Jesus had compassion on us? Aren't you glad God had so much compassion on us that he gave us the most valuable resource in the existence of everything that's ever existed, Jesus Christ himself. That's the compassion God showed to us. And that is the type of compassion God is asking us to show to others. Christ has sent us to tell the world that he alone can feed the souls of men. What did Jesus say to his disciples? As my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. Compassion will move you to action. Do you have true compassion in your life? Let's pray. You have been listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this message was a blessing and encouragement to you. If you would like more messages, visit our website at fbcclarklake.org where all of our messages can be downloaded for free. Also, you can subscribe to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud. All of our messages are available for free. If you want to keep up to date on what's going on at Fellowship, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram where you can see what's happening at Fellowship Baptist Church. If you'd like to visit us, Fellowship Baptist Church is located at 3200 Reed Road, Clark Lake, Michigan. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope to see you back here again next time.